Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. So don't go anywhere for the next hour. Today's buzz, workplace culture. Let me get started. Your stockholders may not be concerned with your company's culture, but I promise you, your employees are. Culture is such a powerful tool for companies today that can it, it can attract top talent, any talent, or it can scare talent away. And you certainly don't want the right people running as soon as they get near your door and sniff what the culture is. With historically low rates of employee engagement and a pervasive lack of trust in leadership, and that's a big problem, organizations everywhere are trying to solve this growing problem. One way, inclusivity, inclusiveness, diversity, bring everybody together. How do you build up trust and engagement as well as diversity to solve the culture problem that probably exists in your company? We have a panel of experts who are going to give you some insights, tips, strategies to solve this problem and nip it in the bud. First up on our panel of experts today is Beth Tebolt, a principal at Deloitte Consulting and their chief inclusion officer. How appropriate. And Beth sent me a classical quote from Peter Drucker, and the quote is, five little words that pack a punch, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Beth Tebolt, you haven't been on the show in a couple of years, so I'm going to say welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Tell me, how did Peter Drucker end up on the show about workplace culture and diversity? Well, like you said, it's a pretty classic quote, but when you really think about it, at the end of the day, and I think we've seen this in in practice, you can have the best strategy, whether it's a product strategy, whether it's a go-to-market strategy, but if the underlying culture isn't supportive or isn't there to support that strategy, it doesn't matter how good the strategy is. You have to have the people buy-in and the culture that's going to enable that strategy to become real in the marketplace. And so, I mean, I think it is a classic quote as it relates to culture, of course, but if you can't get it right in the beginning, you know, for breakfast, you're not going to be around at the end for dinner. Okay. Beth, is this a big problem in large companies and small companies? You know, we all like to think of entrepreneurs, startups, starting off, hitting the ground smart, hitting it lean, hitting it simple, hitting it right, putting together the key core team of people who get what their mission is, their vision, their culture, and being able to avoid the woes that might be endemic in a larger more established, more mature enterprise where you've got anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 employees, and goodness, how do you fix culture in that kind of a behemoth? So do you think that smaller companies get it? Are they doing it right, or is this across the board, Beth? I believe it's across the board. You, you know, smaller companies tend to be able to be more nimble in changing some things, and really the insertion or, frankly, deletion of, you know, mm-hmm. some people can really impact the culture, but it's still at the core of the success of the organization and how the people come together to enable that overall strategy or their overall business objectives. It really is across the board. I would agree with you, Bonnie, that, you know, the big behemoth, it's, it's harder, but you can also tackle it in more pockets, right, versus having to tackle it across the board. So there's opportunities in both sides, but I believe it goes across the board. 
Thank you. I don't think that's good news, Beth. I was hoping you would say <laughs> not. Okay. Now everybody has to listen up. Wherever you are in the world and our listening audience in over 250 countries, regions, and states, you have to listen because it affects you no matter what size company and what great work you're trying to do. Thank you very much, Beth. Good intro to our topic. Let's welcome a new panelist today. It's Bill Jensen. He goes by the moniker Mr. Simplicity, which is the title of his first book, Simplicity, and he's also the author of disrupt think epic be epic and the courage within us i'm not sure if those are one book or two books and bill has sent me a quote from pogo we don't get too many cartoon characters here on the show and the quote is we have met the enemy and he is us bill jensen talk to me welcome and how are you today Bonnie, I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Uh, why did I pick Pogo? Well, I have been very fortunate enough to travel the world, and most every individual that I have met everywhere around the world is an amazing person. Everybody is amazing in their own right. And then something happens. We become employees, and something <laughs> somehow we change. It's like, you know, we're more worried about covering our ass. We're more worried about being, you know, not being authentic. We're, you know, we hold back things. We're worried about how we're perceived. We're more fearful. And it's like, come on, guys, you are an amazing person without that company. You're an amazing person in that company. So what I, what I work on with, with companies is that every culture begins with you. You are the culture. And if you want it to be better, if you want to change it, it starts with you being the amazing person you are. Wonderful. I, I have to give a little background, Bill, because I'm not sure the age of our audience, which, as I said, is spread all over the globe. And some people might not remember Pogo. Oh, perish the thought. So let me just give a little background. Pogo was a comic strip that was launched by Walt Kelly on October 4th, 1948. And I'll give a little clue that that was three days before somebody on this call was born. But I digress. And the, po the Pogo comic strip ran until July 20th, 1975 and it was published by Simon & Schuster uh, as well as a number of other comic publishers and Pogo is the title and central character of a long-running running daily American comedy strip uh, created by cartoonist Walt Kelly who passed away in 1973 and it was set in the Okefenokee Swamp of the southeastern U.S. It engaged in social and political satire through the adventures of an anthropomorphic funny animal through a set of anthropomorphic... Uh, funny animal characters. There you go. So there's the background. Did I get it all right, Bill? It was perfect. Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. I didn't even trip over anthropomorphic. There you go. Not too much. Thank you, Bill. Very, very interesting. You're right. And, and it also reminds me of a Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. I know we hear that over and over and over again. So all good points. Thank you, Bill. And let's bring on our third panelist who was just on on another one of our series about two weeks ago. Always happy to have her back on a Game Changers panel. It's Deb Stambaugh. She's Vice President of Human Resources at SAP. And here's a quote from greatplacetowork.com. And the quote is, great workplaces are built through the day-to-day -day relationships that employees experience, not a checklist of programs and benefits. Aha, it starts with you. Deb Stambaugh, welcome back. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Talk to me. Interesting quote. Yeah, so, I mean, it, this is not, uh, you know, uh, brain surgery or, or, you know, so shocking, but it's just such a... It's a simple and straightforward statement about 
the efforts that a lot of organizations really do put into employee engagement and culture development. But where oftentimes um, organizations fall short and individuals fall short is that, you know, they put the programs in place. They say, checklist, checklist. We've got them there. Well, why isn't anybody doing it? How come it's not working? And it really comes back to the people themselves and the relationships that are built, both between from a leadership perspective or those leaders actually modeling the importance of the, whether it's the programs or the intent of those programs. And are the employees being given the opportunity, the empowerment, and the um, incentives to actually want to uh, participate for the betterment, not of the program itself, but for the betterment of themselves as an individual, for the betterment of the strategy and the objective that they as an organization are trying to go after, and really for the, you know, for the betterment of, of, of themselves and, and really uh, pushing their own um, you know, happiness along and, and making sure that they are happy in their workplace life. It comes back to the individual and the relationships between those individuals at the end of the day. Thank you, Deb. And we're back to individual and you making changes and each person. I have a question for you, Deb. When most people start a job, and let's say a mid-sized to very large company, what I call with Beth the, the behemoth enterprises, do you mm-hmm. think the impression is that they are supposed to strap their personality to the doorpost and, or leave it in their car, on the hood of their car, and not bring their personality into the door when they show up for work that first day and wait and see what the culture is before they decide who they want to be in that culture, and some people just never bring their personality in. They homogenize, and they decide that there's a mold or a mode they have to fit in order to work out there. What do you think, Deb? I think that I, I think it's a great question, Bonnie. I think that Thank that you. is changing. I quite frankly think that, that was the that was the situation for a very long time. I'll say even you know, and I'll date myself. I, I was um, born in the '70s, so you can figure out my birthday. Um, But uh, when I really joined the workforce, it was to a degree when you came into those large organizations, you had to fit in, right? You Mm -hmm. had to wear the, you you know, the quote-unquote uniform that was sort of required. I think um, young people and and people across the board, quite frankly, are getting smarter about matching themselves to a culture and a workplace that actually fits them. Um, There are, I'll give you a great example, Netflix actually, and maybe we'll talk about this later, and I think probably everybody is familiar with their culture presentation, which is one of the most famous um, uh, declarations of what a culture is um, that's available and, and, and it's out there online on SlideShare. Um, they actually have people read a 126-page document about their culture before, they, before people actually get into an interview with them. So that not only are they making a choice, but the employees themselves or the candidates themselves are making a choice. And I think that's a really important part of being successful in an organization going forward um, because you really do. You, this is where people spend the majority of their lives, um, and you've got you've to make that strategic choice, not just is the salary good or the benefits good, but am I actually going to be successful there given who I am as an individual? So I think it's changing. Very interesting. I just looked up the woman behind the Netflix culture doc at Mm -hmm. firstround.com. Just let me read quickly. It says, in the early days of Netflix, Reed Hastings, co-founder and CEO, wanted Patty McCord to help write out the company's core values. At first, they considered something standard, words like excellence and respect, but instead, Patty McCord suggested they write down the things we expect in people. This simple idea led to an infamous document and philosophy known as Netflix culture, freedom and responsibility. Sheryl Sandberg even called it the most 
most important document ever to come out of the yep. Valley. It's a living set of behaviors and skills. The Netflix management team updated continuously and fastidiously. Wow, very interesting. Anybody want to go? Just look up the woman behind the Netflix culture doc. There you go. Thank you very much for bringing that up. Before I ask everybody what's in your cup today and what are you drinking, Beth and Bill, I'd love to have you chime in on some of the, uh, the interesting things that Deb shared and, and each of you. So, Beth, any comments or Bill on Deb? Not, not an effort to pile on, but I think that whole idea of an authentic self is really critical, especially, especially as we think about generations coming in. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk and write-ups about the millennials, and, you know, we, we can debate, you know, what some, what some of those sayings are or not. But as the millennials, as studies will show from, from that perspective, they absolutely expect to come in with their personality, with their beliefs, with their you know, ability to bring their talents in a variety of areas, not just to the, you know, the infamous nine-to-five workday. So, it, you know, not being able to be authentic mm-hmm. isn't really, I'm not going to go as far as say isn't possible, but if you look at culture and you look at the most successful companies, the ability to bring your authentic self, whatever that might be, is critically important to, to the talent. And so if you're not going to allow the folks to bring that authentic self, you're, you're going to have a really hard time attracting as well as retaining that talent. Thank you, Beth. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, thoughts? Uh, well, I loved your follow-up with Deb on Netflix and the freedom and responsibility. So I will bring a second cartoon character in, that being okay. Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. And I think the tensions, the creative tension, not bad tension, but the creative tension that I see that most managers and leaders are wrestling with are really articulating and then living by what are my freedoms that I should take as an individual, as a teammate, and what are my responsibilities to the whole, to the customer, to my team. And it's a constant challenge to wrestle back and forth uh, between what are the freedoms that I should have and that I need to be who I am and what are my responsibilities. So that's an ongoing challenge all of, all of us have. Thank you. Good Stan Lee reference. I looked it up and here he is on Wikipedia with his wonderful dark glasses and great sweater. What can I tell you? Okay, everybody has a brand, right, Bill Jensen? And that was Stan Lee's. I appreciate it. Let's turn back to Beth Tebalt and find out. Beth, since our show today, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, is part of our big flagship series, Coffee Break with Game Changers, you know I want to know what are you drinking? I know you're in a hotel. I don't know where. So tell us where, you're, where you are, what time of day it is, and either what's in your cup right now or what you're planning to drink later. Beth at Deloitte, go ahead. I am in Orlando, Florida, and it is why. about 10:15 Eastern time. So mm-hmm. frankly, I already had my plain old coffee early this morning, and right now I really expanded my horizons, and I'm drinking a, at least in my mind, a very berry hibiscus tea. So that actually has blackberries, which, you know, the infamous superfood, and mm-hmm. green coffee extracts to keep that... Uh, the caffeine going, but it's also cold because it is warm here, it's humid, and it's refreshing. Wonderful. Sounds very exotic, and I know why you're in Orlando, and I hope you have a great week there. (laughs) Terrific. I understand they have a lot of great events in store for you. Yes, we'll leave that one alone. Bill Jensen, where are you calling from? What time of the day, and what's in your cup? Morristown, New Jersey, also 
10, almost 10.30 Eastern time, and my cup is actually being filled up later in the day. My favorite drink mm-hmm. is actually an experience. Uh, I love local beers, going to microbreweries and just experimenting. I always ask the waitress or the, or the barkeep, you know, what's, what's your favorite? And I love experimenting with all different kinds of local beers, and my favorite form of exercise is bicycling. So my personal life fantasy, which I keep trying to fulfill and I get a little bit of the way every year, is to bicycle around the globe via breweries. Go from brewery to brewery, bike, drink, bike, drink. That's my goal. I think that's a worthy cause, but we're going to have to make sure they have an escort for you and keep you off the road after a couple of uh, tipping back a couple of glasses. We don't want you biking that night. You're going to have to find you're going to have to find a brewery with a, a hotel attached to it or a bed and breakfast. Bill, I think I think we can help you arrange that. We'll find somebody. It sounds like a worthy mission, and I wish you well. I expect to get postcards every stop along the way. Thank you, Bill. Deb Stamba, I'm not going to ask you to top those, but what are you drinking? And are you in Orlando today, or where are you? I am not. I'm actually in New York, still not far from you in Westchester. Um, mm-hmm. And there is, I will reference for you, there is something called the Beer Mile now, where it's actually a run, drink, run, drink, or drink, run, drink, run. So you might want to check that out. But in honor of Cinco de Mayo, I'd love to say actually a margarita with some fresh squeezed lime and rocks and salt, but it is 10 a.m. on the East Coast, so <laughs> funny I'm still on coffee. Okay, well, you're being way too polite. Is a margarita in your near future for later today it for Cinco de Mayo, Deb? That's okay to say it. We will we will uh, think of you later on and enjoy your margarita and the salt, too. Uh, all I am allowed to drink, uh, Beth may remember this, but Deb knows very well, all they let Bonnie drink on radio show days is water. And that's all. No caffeine for me. It's under strict orders from anybody who listens. Absolutely. Guess what? You're listening to our latest live episode of our series called Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP, sponsored by Becky Weber at SAP. And thank you to Lindsay Nelson and uh, Wilson Zhu for helping put together this extraordinary panel. Our topic today is Great Workplaces, Trust, engagement, simplifications, and, ooh, the M-word, millennials. We have a lot more to talk about. My very special panel is composed of, and I'll tell you a story about why I said composed of and not comprised of, Beth Tebald at Deloitte Consulting, Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, and Deb Stambaugh, a VP of Human Resource at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. We're going to go away for about 90 seconds, and when we come back, Beth Tebald has the honor of launching our roundtable. You don't want to miss a 30-minute non-stop of conversation about our topic today. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. That's exactly what our goal is, transforming your business with Game Changers. And we are tweeting live at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. However you spell it, that's where we are. And we're going to kick off the roundtable with Beth Tebalt, a principal at Deloitte Consulting and Chief Inclusion Officer. And Beth, I'm looking at notes you sent me before the show, and I would like to start with the following statement and have you expand it for us. A company builds inclusion by recognizing people. Now, that's always been a big question. Uh, how do you recognize people? Do you reward them? Do you give them a citation? Do you give them a breakfast? Do you put them on stage in front of an auditorium? Do you send them love notes and say, hey, you get a credit to buy five things in the company catalog because we're recognizing you? So let's talk about the definition of what does what constitutes recognizing people in this era of trying to establish company inclusion and diversity. Go ahead, Beth. When you look at recognition, it comes in very, you know, in many different ways, frankly, than just, you know, the, okay, here's your, here's a $25 gift certificate somewhere, and I'll go, go have dinner or go buy yourself something. When you're looking at it from an overall culture and company perspective and thinking about recognizing, that recognition is very individual to that individual. You know, there are things that you can do standard. You know, I think Deb said earlier it's not about programs of recognition. Th- those can be supportive, don't get me wrong, so that people can all feel like they, they have a chance at, you know, certain things. But from an overall culture and recognition perspective, you know, there can be, you know, developmental recognition. So doing a good job and we want to continue to develop you and enhance your skill set. So how do we pick you for some type of developmental activity, whether it's related to, you know, your current job or potentially a future role that you might have in the organization. Also, when you think about it, how can we, you know, from an overall engagement perspective, how can they be, how can an individual be recognized by being included, you know, using this included word again, mm-hmm. by engaging them in other activities? One of those other activities might be a community service event, for example, that the person might be passionate about because that's a form of recognition that allows them to do something they're passionate about and, they get, and they're able to do that because of some type of recognition you know, or, or something that they potentially could have achieved. There are the infamous, as I mentioned, you know, I'll call them office perks. You, know, you, you highlight somebody in an office meeting or something like that from a public recognition perspective. Mm-hmm. But the one thing you have to think about, too, from a recognition point of view and what we're seeing more from generations is, yes, individuals like to be recognized and for something that's important to them. Again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, individually, but also much more desire to be recognized as a team for the team's uh, abilities to be successful versus just individual. So looking at how do you balance that is really, really critical from a recognition perspective. Thank you very much, Beth. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, thoughts on recognition, which really is almost a standalone topic. Talk to me. 
It is a great topic, and it is universal. Everywhere I go around the world, one of the most important things to individuals is, how do I, do I know I'm doing a good job? Am I making a difference? And I agree with everything that Bonnie, uh, excuse me, what, with what Beth just said, but I wanted to add a yes and. I just uh-huh. completed a future of work research study of which SAP and others participated. And as thousands of people all around the world, different questions about where the future of work is heading. And what we found is that our relationship with our employees is changing and that the millennials and, you know, the ones that are coming up after them are looking for a different relationship uh, with the company, and one of the things we discovered, how we discovered this, was by asking people, can you achieve your dreams where you currently work? Mm. The overall population responded only 29% said yes, but when we took away uh, Silicon Valley, Valley startups and entrepreneurial, the overall workforce number was at 10%, I can achieve my dreams where I currently work. So the new form of recognition that we're going to see over the next five to ten years is, are you as a company helping me achieve my dreams, whether that's service, whether that's life, whether that's career? Can I achieve what I want to do, my personal goals, where, if I work here? Thank you. Deb Stambaugh. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with what both Beth and Bill said. And, and just to take it on to sort of an individual level, recognition, you know, at the end of the day is really, you know, again, not something that's so difficult. It's, it's about what is modeled and what, um, you know, what is deemed important within the organization. Um, there's studies that say a couple of things. One is that engagement scores double when people are consistently, consistently and meaningfully recognized. Another says that when that monetary recognition really only goes so far, especially when you get into an intellectual property kind of space of, of um, work where it's higher order thinking and it's really, you know, about innovation and, and knowledge-based workers. So recognition, to really think about what's going to be meaningful, you've really got to do it on a, on a basis that it's going to mean something to that individual, as, as Beth was talking about. A great example also is, is um, NetApp out of Silicon Valley. They actually have a practice called Catch Someone Doing Something Right. And mm. when you do that, they actually send a note to their vice chairman, Tom Mendoza, who actually calls the employee any time of day, right, according to where that employee is, and thanks them, right, gives them that personal recognition. And, you know, I'll say when I've received, received a note from our CEO, Bill McDermott, out of SAP, it's memorable. It goes a really long way. So it's those simple things of, recognition being part of the culture, recognition being part of your practices, without having to, you know, go so far over and, abo- over and above in some complicated program and, you know, checklist, as I referred to at the beginning, you know, really bringing it back to, as probably um, Bill appreciates, something simple, something very straightforward, and something really authentic and genuine. Thank you, Deb. I I have a a word I want to introduce into the conversation that's part of our topic today that I haven't heard yet. And since we cover it on so many shows, on so many of our different series, I want to make sure we cover it and don't leave it for the last five minutes in the M word, millennials. So let's just dial back quickly, Beth, Bill, and then Deb, on what we've talked about so far, recognition being our our key topic, our, our start to the roundtable. 
what do millennials want? Are they getting what they want? Are they do they want a different kind of recognition? Uh, any comments, Beth? First, we did a study recently, and we found that ninety-two percent of the millennials surveyed, and and this was um, in conjunction with Diversity Inc. said that flexibility is their top priority. And again, that goes back to an individual. So is it flexibility in work assignments? Is it flexibility in, you know, the work day? Is it flexibility in, when, you know, if they can go take a sabbatical or do something like that? Is it about, you know, being um, rewarded from a team perspective versus an individual? So flexibility is key, and they want to have the opportunities to kind of shape their career, shape their opportunities and shape their experiences. And, you know, 92% is, you know, it's, it's almost statistically, you know, as, as Bill might say, you know, shocking, right, when you think about it. So mm-hmm. and when you think about that, then from a recognition perspective, organizations need to be flexible, too, in how they think about that recognition because, you know, you, using the title of this show, the game is changing and it's changing constantly. So the ability to review and understand what that means to millennials will be key from an organization's success in order to make those, you know, make those folks feel like they're you know, getting what they want out of it. Are they going to be able to you know, achieve their, their lifelong dream job uh, with your organization for the period of time that, that they're with you? Thank you, Beth. Bill, we have invoked your name. Talk to us. <laughs> well, adding, uh, tagging on to what Beth has already said, the, another thing I'd like to mention is feedback. You know, over the last past uh, decade or so, the millennials have gotten a bad rap because they want instant feedback all the time. You know, supposedly they got, you know, awards for just participating when they were in grade school and high school, and now they're coming to the workforce and expecting that. But I have to say I'm on their side you know, to, to expect feedback once a year or once a quarter mm-hmm. in this chaotic, complex, ever-changing world simply is not enough. And organizations need to react to the millennials' need for constant feedback in an appropriate way that these people are really saying, hey, I want to do the best job I can. And in order to do that, I need feedback on a fairly regular basis. And I think they're all looking for that. And I think organizations need to move in that, in the direction of more real-time feedback. So it's not such a bad thing. Okay, good influencers there. Deb, thoughts on millennials? How do they fit into the recognition scenario? Yeah, and I said this before on your show, Bonnie, but, you know, I really, quite frankly, don't think millennials are all that different from everyone else, other generations. I think they've been smart enough to be very vocal and outspoken about what they want, what they need, and what they desire. From a recognition standpoint, and again, I think this applies to across the board, um, I think one of the things that millennials also want from a recognition standpoint is inclusion and uh, relevance, Right where they're not going to, because they're early in their career, oftentimes, right, they're relegated to sort of the, the grunt work, the the, um, the baseline stuff, and not necessarily included in the foundational conversations because they're young in their career and maybe there's that sense that they don't um, have as much experience. But if we think about this generation, they are so much more well-informed than any generation that ever came before them, right? Their access to data and information is just so much more widespread they're much more global, right? They're part of the global economy. So I think inclusion and really providing that relevance on an early basis and making, tapping into their value and allowing them to show their value early on is actually a really great form of recognition for that audience. 
Thank you very much. Okay, we have addressed, I'm trying to address all the words in our title of our topic today, which is Great Workplaces, Trust, Engagement, Simplification, and Millennials. We're covering them one by one, and now it's time to focus on the S word, simplification, and that brings me to Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity. How perfect of you to join us today, Bill. This is your wheelhouse, my friend, and I'm looking at your notes. Uh, Let me read a couple of statements here, and then you can run with it. Bill says, simplicity is power. Since the dawn of human human history, the winners had things made simpler for them. The losers' lives got more complex. To create simpler companies today, we need to understand the real dynamic behind simplicity. But there's one key question Bill asks. Simpler for whom? A lot of meat on the bones there. Bill Jensen, take me through it. Well, it's just understanding what's behind the tug of war that's in the word simplicity. Everybody wants things simpler for them, but we all need to work to make things simpler for our customers or other stakeholder groups. So somebody has to take on the work of tackling complexity. And frankly, none of us want to because our, our lives are all complex as it is. So we need to make things simpler for everybody overall. It's just way too complicated. And the other thing that I would add besides simplicity is power, the other one-word definition that I would give people is sympathy is, uh, excuse me, simplicity is empathy. And through all the couple decades of research I've been doing, there are two broad categories that simplicity and complexity falls in fall into when it comes to organizations. One is infrastructure, our tools, our resources, our processes, our technology. The other is how we communicate with each other. Now, when it's infrastructure, mostly that falls in the C-suite's responsibility. They're the ones that are charged with the overall organizational design and creating budgets. What I'm thrilled to see is SAP and a few others are moving in the direction of what's called design thinking, which is really about a fancy word for empathy for the end user of that technology, designing backwards. But the other area that is easier for all of us, we don't need a C-suite to take charge, is how we communicate. And what I've learned is we all need to communicate backwards from the person's needs who's receiving our information. Most of us communicate from our perspective. So simplicity equals empathy means how do I write my email, how do I do my PowerPoint, how do I run my town hall meeting from the people's perspective who are receiving it, not necessarily how I want to send it. And that empathy runs through over and over and over again. Thank you. Very interesting empathy. We could have put that in the title of the show as well. Deb Stambaugh comments on the interesting concept that Bill Jensen just brought to us. Thoughts? Yeah, I really love that the concept of uh, simplicity being equal to empathy. I've worked um, being part of HR. I was actually part of marketing for a really long time, but working with internal audiences. And I always refer to those internal audiences as my customers. And it was always, there were, with new people that I worked with, it was always sort of a there was that introductory conversation where I referred to our customers and they said, well, wait, are you talking about our, right, our end customers that are buying our products? And there had to be a correction, right, of no, we were talking about our customers, in this case, our employees. And I think really thinking about, Bill, to your point, um, thinking about whoever it is you're trying to sell whatever you're selling, right, whether that's your, um, your strategy, your approach, your program, what have you, to drive 
simplicity, right? Because that's really the end game for many of us, is to really think about who your customer is and really treat those people like your customer, whether they are internal or external. The other thing I'll say about simplicity is that I think oftentimes, and I think this gets to empathy, I think this gets to um, engagement, is that a lot of organizations talk about simplicity. That usually means focusing in really strategic on the strategy in a really uh, focused way, right? Getting to the core of that strategy, what's going to impact it, and we go after it and we create new um, approaches to get there, but we never take anything else away. So it's really understanding what do you let go, right, and stopping those things that are no longer working and then really doubling down on the things that are really going to make an impact. That's also going to drive simplicity. That's going to drive further engagement and your employees and your and even your ecosystem is going to see that difference. Thank you, Deb. Beth Tebalt, join us. Thoughts? Again, and I, I don't always like to quote surveys, but a survey we did, it said that um, seven out of ten organizations have put on their top ten priorities that they need to simplify the work environment. One of the things I think they really need to do, and I'm seeing leading organizations do this, is, you know, instead of having, you know, leadership, and leadership has to be involved, don't get me wrong, figure out what we need to do to simplify, ask the workers, get there, you know, use crowdsourcing, use those type of activities to find out what are those activities that make it hard and then determine what you can do to change that. I think pushing some of that to the people most impacted will not only help you to simplify, but frankly, it will also really enhance your culture and really commitment from folks because they're being heard and then they're being asked to participate in something that can change their overall experience. It's a big deal out there. Companies, they have it on their radar screens. They have it on their list of to-dos. But the, the key now is going to be what are they going to do about it? Okay. Bill, this was your topic. Thoughts on what your co-panelists added to the topic of simplicity? I think everybody nailed it. Uh, the research that I continue to do uh, is about how do we create a simpler company culture. And if you think of three circles intersecting as a, as a Venn diagram, for mm-hmm. too long, two of those circles have been much, much larger. That's the company and the customer. And the individual circle in that Venn diagram has been pretty small, making things simpler for me as an individual performer. What I'm finding through the research that we're doing is the companies that are creating simpler work cultures are giving much more credence to how do we make things simpler for each individual worker. And that's a, that's a tough nut to crack, but it's very, very important. True simpler cultures uh, is an th- equal three-way Venn diagram w- with all three circles, making it simpler for me, the individual, making it simpler for the company to execute, and making it simpler for the com- customer to meet their needs. True simplicity is equal on all three sides. Thank you, Bill. Funny you brought up Venn diagrams. As uh, our listeners know, on all of our we have 15 series, 11 currently in live production. Talk about simplicity, Bill. I bring up Venn diagrams all the time, and I never expect anybody to be old enough to know what they are. So we've had some interesting topics, and I'm always my my heart just just glows when you said Venn diagrams. Say, hey, I knew I liked this guy, and we didn't even talk about Venn diagrams in our prep calls. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to move this along so we get to where we let's see, we have 15 minutes left till the 
end of the show. Plenty of time on live radio. Deb Stambaugh, it's your turn to lead one of our conversation threads. And you sent me so many statistics and so many great numbers and so much good stuff. Deb, I'm going to leave it up to you whether we talk about engagement hits the bottom line or organizations that have a culture of purpose and focus on delivering meaningful impact for all their stakeholders will be the ones who win. So where would you like to go, Deb? I'm going to leave it up to you. Yeah, I would love to talk about the culture of purpose, Bonnie. I think it's just such a it's such a uh, unique uh, phenomenon, right? And mm-hmm. and I'll talk about that a little bit further. That's really occurred over the last couple of years, where the advent of B corps or benefit corporations have really popped up from um, leading ones like Patagonia and Etsy and Seventh Generation, um, where really the foundation of what they're doing these are for profit organizations. But the basis of their culture is also doing well in society. And this is a huge, if we go back to the millennials, this is a huge attractor for millennials, right? They want to feel good about what they're doing. And this also gets into sort of that personal fit into an organization. Am I going to actually find purpose in what I do? And that's actually one of the major levers of engagement for anybody. Um, so, you know, I'll give you a, a great example of a company uh, called Warby Parker, who, who People are probably probably pretty familiar with. They're an eyeglass maker. They uh, have a one-for-one uh, um, approach where for every pair of glasses that they make and they sell, they actually donate one to um, a developing country where, where it's needed. And this has become a huge hit, right? They are the choice of hipsters. Um, they are in a recent GQ um, article where they were focusing on the taxonomy of nerds. All but nine out of ten were wearing Warby Parker glasses. And it's really not just, it becomes really not just about fashion or profits, right? It's an important way Mm -hmm. for that company, for this company in particular, and I think a lot of other B Corps and ones that are uh, purpose-focused, to really retain and attract talented employees, right? Survey data shows that workers, especially young ones, want to work for those socially conscious companies. And, in fact, they'll take less compensation in exchange for a greater sense of purpose. So if we get back to that recognition context also, right, where is that going to come from? That recognition or, and or that um, rewards doesn't always need to be monetary. It can be helping people to feel good about uh, what they're doing. And the other interesting thing that I'll just say about this is that it's not actually a new concept. I was looking, um, but I was doing a bit of research before the show. Uh, I found that actually there are several American companies that, had really similar uh, concepts at their start. Henry Ford actually declared um, in his early days that instead of boosting dividends, he'd rather use that money to build better cars and pay better wages. And Johnson & Johnson's credo, written in 1943, said that the company's first responsibility was not to investors, but to doctors and nurses and patients. And so it's really interesting that the foundation of a lot of great organizations and great companies we're built upon this concept of giving back, right? Doing well in society, doing well for the community, bringing their employees on board and, and making sure that they're engaged. I think we've, we've gotten away from that with all of the focus on short-term profitability and, and the, the maniacal focus on, on um, what the stock market is telling us. And I think there's a, there's a real uh, tide that's turning to, for people to get back to you know, sort of what's going to make an impact for me and what's going to make it me feel good about talking about what I do for a living every day. 
Thank you, Deb. Very well put. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at your notes, and I'm very intrigued that you, when you talk about stakeholders, you include the whole, all the pieces of the Venn diagram, all the intersecting circles are the customers, the employees, and the communities, and that's very important. I looked up Warby Parker. I must read their mission statement, which I think will be so enlightening, and then we'll get Beth and Bill on this. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty objective to offer designer eyewear at a revolutionary price while leading the way for socially conscious businesses. Every idea starts with a problem. Ours was simple. Glasses are too expensive. We were students when one of us lost his glasses on a backpacking trip. The cost of replacing was so high, he spent the first semester of grad school without them, squinting and complaining. We don't recommend this. The rest of us had similar experiences, and we were amazed at how hard it was to find a pair of great frames that didn't leave our wallets bare. What were the options? And then they created the alternative so necessity is the mother or the son or the daughter or the college student of invention what can i say beth tebow chime in here what do you think about deb's focus on purpose we're all focused on we all have our own purpose right and again my common theme here is it's it's very individual and even the you know the behemoth companies who are you know, whether they're reporting to the street or, you know, the private companies who are worried about the bottom line, that's never going to go away. But I think how organizations can look at how they can enable their their people to, again, fulfill their passions, which can have a sense of purpose potentially outside of the organization and, and more than likely outside of the organization, whether it's with, you know, community day activities, whether it's on sabbaticals, whether it's um, teaching the next generation of potential talent for that organization, which will positively impact their bottom line. I think it, it goes back also to the other theme of flexibility, not from a, a personal talent perspective, but the organizations being flexible on what are the issues of the day and how can they and their people address those issues. And again, you know, Listen to the folks. Listen to the people and what, what they have ideas. You, you can't take all of them, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when people believe that they can contribute in more than one way just by getting their paycheck, statistics will show that they are clearly more engaged. They'll stay longer, and they contribute to the bottom lines of those, you know, for-profit companies. So providing opportunities and options, it's not for everybody. The entire, you know, the entire workforce isn't going to be off doing, you know, something, you know, one day and, and you know, negatively impacting the, the business. And, you know, the average person understands that as well. But giving them that opportunity to think about it is going to create a culture and environment where those employees are more engaged. They're, like I said, they're going to stay longer. And that's ultimately better for, for both the employee and the organization. Thank you. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, thoughts on purpose? I'd like to, uh, Bonnie, I'd like to put myself in the, or walk my talk and put myself in the listener's shoes and say, okay, you figured out somewhat about your purpose, but how do you engage everybody else? How do you, how do you get more than yourself in purpose? Uh, very quickly, one rule, one tool. Simple, easy to remember. The rule is three to five. From the research that I've done, when you try to engage somebody electronically, you have three to five seconds to get your point across, Mm -hmm. which means you have to be very crisp, very concise. When you are face-to-face, you start to lose people's attention within three to five minutes. Mm -hmm. So remember the rule of three to five. 
And then the next step is, oh, Bill, my purpose and everything else I have to communicate is so complicated, it's so long, how do I get, to get so much across in, in three to five minutes or three to five seconds? Very easy comes the tool. Tool is know, as in knowledge, K-N-O-W, know, feel, do. When you want to engage everybody with a work plan or purpose, so everybody from your listener's perspective, they want three things as fast as possible. What's the one thing you want me to know? Why should I care about it or feel something about it? And what do you want me to do? So when you are trying to engage somebody with purpose or even something transactional with today's work, work plan, always remember rule of three to five. Always remember no, feel, do. I'm tweeting this because this is a tweetable moment here. How to engage people online or face-to-face rule of rule of three, did you say? Three, three to, five. to five. Okay. Three to five. No. Three to five seconds electronically, three to five minutes face-to-face. So it's no feel or care and do, which is action. I'm going to put that out there. Thank you very much, Bill. Deb, this was your topic on, on purpose, on purpose, on purpose. Deb, you want to make a quick a quick wrap-up here because I'm ready to go into predictions round and give you each about, oh, a minute and a half for predictions. So, Deb, before we circle back to Beth for predictions, why don't you just finish up on the purpose topic, on purpose? Yeah, I think for from a purpose perspective, just a, a quick stat that, you know, a lot of uh, 91% of um, employees in a survey say that companies with strong sense of purpose also have a stronger financial performance. So, you know, understanding what your purpose is, even if it's not the core of your company, even if it's not your, even, you know, you don't have to be a B Corp to have purpose, um, is really, can really make a huge impact in aligning your organization, aligning your employees to really uh, want to put that 110% in and drive that engagement and drive that profitability. Thank you very much, Deb. Good wrap-up. And let's go back to Beth Tebold. Beth, it's predictions time. I've got four minutes left to divide among my, my three panelists here today. So I'm going to give you each just a minute. Let's see if anybody goes over a little bit. We'll still have time for Deb because we want to hear hers. So uh, Beth Tebold, fast forward to the year 2020 or anytime you see clearly in the crystal ball at Deloitte. What do you see and how will this conversation be different at that future time? Where are we looking in the future? Beth Tebold, 90, yeah, I'll give you 60 seconds. Go. All right. In 2020 and between now and then, I think what we're going to see is much more external impact on every organization. Organizations are going to get feedback from from their competitors, from the market, from social media. That's going to require them to change what they're doing from an employee engagement, from an overall trust, from a culture perspective. And organizations are going to be faced with you know, many more challenges because they're going to have to react to it. Everything is so quick now and everything gets out there in social media that they're going to have to be prepared to react and then also to, frankly, put a stake in the ground on where they want to go. So the, or this isn't going to get easier for anybody. Now, do I think that, you know, the whole culture thing and inclusion and all that's going to be figured out by 2020? It's not because the world's going to continue to change. But um, there are Organizations are going to be faced with challenges more quickly and, frankly, that they can't hide like they never have in the, like they've never been faced with in the past. Hmm. Thank you very much. Bill Jensen, 60 Seconds Predictions. How far in the future are you looking? Uh, well, funny you should mention that. I just completed yes. the Future of Work 
research study that goes to, uh, to 2020. Anybody who wants to can download it at simplerwork.com. But uh, two quick predictions. One, around simplicity and your mathematician, your favorite mathematician, John Venn. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to need to, see, to make things simpler for companies. We're going to need to make things simpler for every individual. And also, as it relates to the future of work and our relationship uh, with our companies, second prediction is that the future of work workforce sees companies as vehicles to achieve their dreams and goals better than they could on their own or working for a competitor. So the second prediction is we're going to see a lot more movement in people achieving their own dreams and goals wherever they work. Thank you very much. Neat and concise and simple. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Deb Stambaugh. Deb, I know you prepared your predictions in advance, so you're ready to go. How far in the future are you going to look for us? You know, I think this goes from now into through 2020, and I think it's just going to it's going to increase as we go. I, my prediction is that the culture behind the company will increasingly be part of the customer's decision making. So that transparency trend is going to continue to thrive from food, fashion, and technology, obviously. Um, consumers are really rejecting um, those brand, brands that are, or sorry, um, wanting being more attracted to those brands that are offering something unique and interesting and personal stories about sourcing and ingredients and individuals behind the company. Those are the ones that are going to be supported. Those are the ones that are going to win in the marketplace. Thank you very much. All brief and to the point. I appreciate it. What a great conversation. Beth Tebold at Deloitte, thank you so much for joining me, Beth. Pleasure to talk with you again. Bill, Mr. Simplicity Jensen, I hope you'll stay in touch. We have so much more we want to hear from you on future topics, so we will keep you in mind. Deb Stambaugh, always a pleasure to speak with you, Deb, at SAP. Uh, Beth, I hope you have a great week at Sapphire. I know you're in Orlando and hope everything is uh, exciting, and I hear there's some great entertainment in store. I want to thank our listeners for joining us for Great Workplaces, Trust, Engagement, Simplification, and Millennials. We certainly had a lot to cover, and a shout-out to the series sponsor, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, Becky Weber and her awesome team of Lindsay Nelson and Wilson Zhu. Shout out to Lindsay, who's moving on to another team. It's been great working with you and Brad and the Business Channel team. And let's see what's coming up today. Oh, I'll be back in about an hour. It's Tuesday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. I'll be back at 12 noon Eastern with a new episode of Game Changing Women. Good boss, bad boss, woman boss. What a topic. You don't want to miss this one. Tomorrow, I'll be back with a live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, first of our two-part mini, mini, mini series on small business success. How do you work with partners? And Thursday, I'll be back with a live edition of Internet with Things with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.